Hi, welcome to the Let's K-12 Better podcast. This podcast is a project between Mama Ball Capes and her kids. Hi! In our podcast, we will cover a variety of subjects involving K-12 education and family life. We will talk about the ways that parents, kids, and educators can improve K-12 education and family life. We encourage you to join our conversation on social media using the hashtag Let's K-12 Better. Let's jump into episode 19 of the Let's K-12 Better podcast. We firmly believe that parents are partners in their child's education, but sometimes parents experience barriers that prevent them from understanding how the education space works. It's not just about sending your kids to the right school, finding that right teacher, or experiencing the best curriculum. A lot goes into a great education. The education landscape is an intricate web of people, policies, pedagogy, funding mechanisms, and so much more. We don't know what we don't know. Since education policy and research can get pretty wonky, how can or should parents use education policy and research to inform their understanding of their child's K-12 learning ecosystem? This summer, we sat down with Kara Jackson, Associate Partner at Bellwether Education Partners and Adjunct Professorial Lecturer at American University, to discuss education policy and education research. What is it? How does it impact your child's education? And how can parents access research and best practices to better inform them of what's required of a successful K-12 experience? Kara's work focuses on our favorite subject, teachers, teacher prep, teacher quality, and assessment literacy. We hope our discussion with Kara entices you to explore education policy and education research a bit more. We are so delighted to have Kara Jackson, Associate Partner at Bellwether Education Partners and Adjunct Professional Lecturer at American University, join us on the podcast. I've known Kara for some time now, and I'm so excited about this conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Kara. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be on the podcast. Awesome. All right, so we have our first question. Education policy and research can be a pretty wonky field. Let's peel back those layers for our listeners. How would you explain the field of education policy and research in layman's terms? So education policy, just like any policy, is just a set of rules and regulations. And those rules are intended to either get people to behave in certain ways, either by creating incentives for them to do something or maybe by creating barriers that make it harder for them to do something. So research on education policies can take a lot of different forms. Some researchers conduct interviews, 
um, and focus group to find out more about how policies are being experienced by students, parents, teachers, and school administrators. And others use large-scale data sets to better understand what student outcomes look like across different groups and how different education policies impact those outcomes. How did you become interested in this field? What inspires you in your work? So my dad was a teacher. He taught English, Greek, and Latin in public schools in New Jersey, and my aunt was also a teacher and my uncle. Um, but what really caught my attention was when I was in eighth grade, the Star-Ledger, which was a newspaper in New Jersey, listed the percent of high school students that passed their high school proficiency test, and they listed it for every public school in the state of New Jersey. And this is a basic skills test. So it, it's not meant to be a difficult test. It's just meant to test that you have basic skills that you would get in high school. And the range of the percent of students who passed that test was really, really wide. So in some schools, nearly every student passed. In some schools, very few students did, like as low as 10%. And at the time, I just could not understand how that could happen, how the outcomes could be so different for some kids than for others. And so ever since then, I've been learning a lot more about how those disparities come to be. And it goes way beyond what's happening inside school buildings. There are all kinds of factors like pollution and water quality, housing instability, systemic racism, food insecurity, and all of those things can affect student performance. So some students and the schools that serve them are dealing with a lot more challenges than others. And that's not an excuse. It's just an acknowledgement that there are real societal problems that contribute to what we see in school outcomes. And so when we think about what schools can do, um, more and more we see that schools are trying to provide a lot of different social services to support their students. So it sounds like you're kind of uh, interested in like the investigative side of like why education does and does not work. Yes, that's true. Excellent. Your area of expertise includes teacher preparation and teacher quality. Can you summarize how teacher quality and teacher preparation impact schools? What have you discovered in your research? What are practical applications of your findings? So there actually aren't a whole lot of things that people in the field of education that researchers agree on, but there are two things that are pretty widely accepted. One is that teacher quality is considered the most important school in-school resource for student outcomes. And the second is that new teachers tend to be less effective on average in terms of improving student achievement than more experienced teachers. So teacher quality and teacher preparation are really essential to ensuring that schools are offering the best possible educational opportunities for students. And some of the work that I've done and research that others have done suggest that how effective teachers are is influenced by their environment. So the quality of school leadership, professional development, opportunities to collaborate with their peers and receive feedback, all of those things can influence how effective a teacher is in the classroom. And then I would say there's really still a lot to learn about the best way to approach teacher preparation. I recently co-edited a book on teacher preparation, and there were some great examples of how preparation programs are collecting data on their teacher candidates to better understand student teaching placement sites and whether content area coursework is related to teachers' ability to enact specific teaching practices. Um, so are they enacting the practices that they're learning during their coursework? But it's also important to recognize that there are a lot of gaps in what we know and a lot of room for improvement. So we could be more strategic about where teachers do their student teaching, about which teachers they work with as 
um, the mentor and student teacher relationship um, and make sure that they're learning from people who really exemplify great teaching. And then there's also a growing body of research on the value of a diverse teaching workforce. So I think a critical next step for researchers is to identify effective strategies for increasing teacher diversity. Very interesting stuff. Is there, are there any spaces where parents can, you know, either support, I guess, the best practices um, that you've discovered in your research? So I think, I know in our local school system, there are opportunities for parents to be involved at least a little bit in, in selecting school leaders, for example, and that the teachers in the school have some role in saying who their new colleagues will be. So I think advocating in, in those areas for the kinds of skills that you want teachers to have is, is important and for the kinds of teachers that you want to see. Um, and then just like encouraging positive communication back and forth, I think is always important. Awesome. Excellent. Uh, all right. We'll go with our next question. Can you talk a bit about what you've learned from your research on school engagement with parents? What are the most important findings and are there any actionable steps that schools or parents can take based on your research? Sure. So um, Raquel Gonzalez and I looked at different ways that schools engage with parents and whether the relationship between school engagement and student outcomes depends on the socioeconomic status, basically whether this school has a lot of students who come from wealthier families or a school that has students that come from less wealthy families. The one thing that we found was that increasing communication from the school to the families was associated with better outcomes in schools with higher socioeconomic status, but not in schools with lower socioeconomic status. So that raises some questions about how effective is this communication? What happens when parents get information from a school? How do they process it? What steps do they take in response? And it seemed likely to us that more advantaged parents might have the resources to use that information in ways that benefit their children and that less advantaged parents might not have flexible work schedules or they might not be able to provide additional oversight with homework or they might not be able to, they might not be able to afford tutoring. So. It's something for things, something for schools to think about when they're communicating with families. What is it that they want the parent to do, and how do you make that option accessible for all parents? So let them know about things like the home, homework hotline or other available resources. And then more recently, researchers have studied the impact of text messaging and other efforts to provide information about student performance, like um, informing parents about student grades or homework completion, and those appear to be promising in improving student outcomes. That's awesome. It just seems like the more that we can meet parents where they are, um, the better off our students are going to be. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. How can or should parents use research like yours to inform their understanding of their K of their child's K twelve learning ecosystem? One thing I'd like parent to think about is to pay less attention to school proficiency rates, meaning the percent of students who are proficient or higher in math and English language arts, because that's the two subjects that we test annually, and pay more attention to measures of growth and other factors about the school. And the proficiency rates tend to tell you more about the relative affluence of a school than how effective it is in educating students. And this is hard to measure, but I think a strong learning ecosystem is one where everyone from the superintendent down really views themselves as learners and that there are systems in place 
for everybody in the system to get feedback and then to act on that feedback. So decision makers, whether they're on the board of education or their teachers in the classroom or their parents helping their kids, they are using evidence to make the decisions that they make about how they go about interacting with students. And they're also incorporating feedback and research and developing policies accordingly. That's awesome. Um, there's a lot of, um, you know, assessment, like schools are essentially married to assessment, intertwined with assessment. Is there anything there where, um, you know, folks are beginning to look at different ways of collecting student data or different ways of measuring um, students that can better inform the ecosystem? Yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of interest in that. There are you know, there's a, there are standardized assessments, but then there are also formative assessments that teachers can use in the classroom. And certainly since this year, I don't think any of the states are going to be administering their annual state assessments as planned. Um, schools will have to think about different ways to know where kids are um, when when they're back in operation. They're going to need to think about what is it that we can do in the classroom so that we have some understanding of where the student is in relation to where we want them to be and how we meet them where they are. Um, and there are all kinds of things that teachers can do in their classroom to gather that information. You're a parent and you possess a ton of expertise when it comes to K-12 learning. How does this influence the way you look at K-12 education or the way that you approach educating your own child? It's interesting because my research often involves looking at achievement outcomes, and we were just talking about how much that's a big thing in schools. But as a parent, it really helps you appreciate the multidimensionality of teaching and school quality because I want my child to enjoy going to school and to feel safe and loved as much as I want him to learn. So if a teacher was able to get her student to do really well on a state test but yelled at the kids all the time, I wouldn't feel great about that. Um, and school diversity is very important to me. I did not have that myself in my K to 12 experience, and I wanted better for my own child. I wanted him to learn alongside other people who don't look like him and to learn about people who have different life experiences to sort of build character and empathy. Um, we try to be really conscious of that in the kinds of books that we buy or get from the library. So not just Percy Jackson, even though we love those books, but also The Hate You Give and Wonder and In the Shadow of Liberty. So especially in the summer, I try to be conscious of what what reading material is around. Um, and then we've been schooling at home, like everybody. Um, mm. we're <laughs> <laughs> the struggle is real. Yikes. <laughs> Um, we're really fortunate that I have a job where I can work from home and also that my my son is old enough to work independently for the most part. A lot of the scaffolding and support that I provide these days mostly takes the form of asking him to explain his thinking or figure out what resources he needs to help him when he's stuck, um, make sure that he's actually reviewing the videos that his teacher posted and, and the modules and things like that and helping him be better organized because that's definitely a growth area. Um, and just underlying all of it is reinforcing the idea that just because you don't get something right away, you get a problem wrong, or it doesn't make sense, doesn't mean that you won't get it eventually. It just means you're learning something new, you're growing. Um, and if you can lean into that discomfort, then you can get the problem right the next time. So a lot of it is about, about providing sort of emotional support when something is challenging. I think that's a big part of it at this age. It just sounds like you're like just being a true partner 
in your child's education. It's so amazing. Social emotional learning, I'm hearing, you know, supplemental work at home, but not in the form of like crazy worksheets, which is always <laughs> a slippery slope. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, this is so that's really, really awesome. If a parent wants to read the latest in education policy or education research, what publication should they start reading or a newsletter should they subscribe to? Well, this podcast, definitely. Um, <laughs> and and Chalkbeat does a really good job summarizing education research that's um, an online newspaper. I also like um, Brookings Brown Center Chalkboard and Education Next. And um, Larry Ferlazzo is a teacher who does a really nice job of rounding up different studies and perspectives. So there's lots of things online for people to check out. So it sounds like uh, we will make a list and um, we will make sure that that list of all of the awesome resources that you named um, are in the notes so that everyone can just keep coming back to them. Great. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, we have one more. This like flew by super fast, but it's so jam packed with so much awesome information. So like, <laughs> thank you so much for bringing your expertise. We have one more question. Yeah. Um, do you have any research or publications coming out that you'd like to share or promote? Can you share a bit about what they cover? Sure. Um, yeah. So I co-edited a book that's coming out soon titled Assessment Education, Bridging Research Theory and Practice to Promote Equity in Student Learning. And it's framed around three myths about assessment. The first one is that assessments are just whether you get it or not, that assessment um, in, in our thinking about this, assessment should really be about using evidence and feedback to move learning forward by adjusting learning strategies or next instructional step. And the second myth is that assessment is just equal to test. So in our work, we've seen teachers gather evidence of learning through what students say, from student work, um, from all kinds of interactions that aren't necessarily like standardized assessments. And then the third is that assessments are only used by teachers. So we see this as, as assessment can provide a valuable information to a variety of stakeholders. Um, actually, a not bad example of that is that even though um, our school district is pass-fail this quarter, students can still see how many problems they got right on a quiz. And that's valuable information. It lets students and parents, as well as their teachers, know which problems you might need to revisit. Um, so I'm really excited about the book because it was an opportunity to elevate the voices of classroom teachers and people working at the state and district level. And they have great suggestions on how to use assessments, whether in the classroom or in professional learning communities in ways that are really in service of improving student learning. It's not about sorting students. Um, it's much more about how can we move students forward. So one example of that is that Kim Walters Parker talks about using cognitive science principles in her reading intervention class by incorporating distributed practice, like spacing out your studying over time, which makes the information stick better in your long-term memory, and dual coding, which is note-taking with pictures and diagrams, as well as words. And then Scott Reed, who is a physics teacher, he talks about how he uses assessment cards to get students to reflect on what they've learned and what questions they still have. And then he uses that information to inform the next day's lesson instead of waiting until the end of the week or the end of the month when he used to give them a, a bigger quiz. He tried to collect the information more frequently and make use of it in planning for the next day. Wow. Yeah, I feel like 
all of that is super duper interesting. And like parents are so confused about, you know, they care, they want to be involved, they want to be invested. They just don't really understand what is being measured, how they compare to other students, you know, around them. Is my kid behind? Is my kid ahead? Um, So when we understand how assessments are um, developed and how, you know, what they're supposed to be uh, measuring, I think we have a better uh, understanding of how we can help our kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And I think that's a big, it, it can really help it can be used to help shed light on what is going on at school and how you can support your student at home or, you know, how the, how principals might need to support their teachers more. So just kind of like getting everybody on the same page about where we are and where we're going. Oh my goodness. This is so awesome. I have learned a ton um, today. I am super appreciative of you coming through and sharing your amazing knowledge with us. Uh, again, we will make sure that we link all the links and share all the information so that people can come back and you know just continue to reference as they uh, grow in their partnership with their child's teacher so that their kid is just stronger. Kara, you are amazing. I am super thankful that you are in my network of people. And you know what? I think I'll be uh, coming back around again to ask you more questions at some later date. Um, But thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Amber. I had a great time. Yes. Thank you so much, Kara Jackson, for joining us on the podcast. If you enjoyed today's interview, we encourage you to follow Kara on Twitter at Kara underscore Jackson. When we better understand the relationship between education policy and our child's education, we better understand how we can solve some of the most pressing issues that impact the classroom and the education landscape. Find links to all that was mentioned in this interview in the show notes. If you have any cool epiphanies you'd like to share, please leave them in the comments or share with us on social media. Each episode, we will share quotes that we find inspirational. Angela Davis is an American political activist, philosopher, academic, and author. Her quote, I am no longer accepting the things I cannot change. I am changing the things I cannot accept. Hillary Clinton is an American politician, diplomat, lawyer, writer, and public speaker who served as the 67th United States Secretary of State. Her quote, Take criticism seriously, but not personally. If there is truth or merit in the criticism, try to learn from it. Otherwise, let it roll right off of you. My quote is by Stokely Carmichael, or Kwame Ture, who was a political activist. My quote is, There is a higher law than the law of government. That's the law of conscience. Gloria Estefan is a Cuban-American singer, songwriter, actress, and businesswoman. Her quote, I think that the only way to teach is by example, as children will more easily follow what they see you do than what you tell them to do. Thank you for listening to the Less K-12 Better podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, 
review, and subscribe. We want to hear from you. Connect with us on social media at Let's K-12 Better on all social media platforms or connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Mom of All Capes. You can find our podcast on your favorite podcasting app. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast. Your stars help us go far. See you next time. <laughs>